Good morning, everyone. Back when um, I was a focused missionary, I think it's probably still this way, but focus is like, its main mission is to evangelize college students and prepare them for lifelong mission. But a side effect is it's like kind of a dating service. Um, and it was that way when I was a missionary. Now they have hundreds and hundreds of missionaries. But when I was a missionary, there were, I, I don't know, 20 or 30 of us. And it was half women and half men. And you're all right out of college. And you're all devout Catholics. And it's just a natural thing. But back in, in my time, the women weren't overly impressed with the men. Uh, no comments, please. But, but they, they would go talk to the priests about it. And we had two priests that were chaplains, great priests. Uh, and I can't remember which one used to say this, but one of them had a phrase that he used to use quite a bit, and he would say to the women, he would say, well, stop looking for St. Joseph because you're not the Blessed Virgin. <laughs> yeah. And he used to say that to the women kind of over and over again. He was a real optimist. But... <laughs> And there was something true there. There was something about, you know, all of us have our faults, and you're never going to find the perfect human being. But today what I want to talk about is actually the opposite of that. Most of the time, I'm convinced with our faith, brothers and sisters, it's not that our hopes are too big. It's not that we're out there looking for St. Joseph and for everything to be perfect. It's actually that our hopes are way too small. And actually, frequently in, in the Catholic world, both with men and women, I, I actually encourage them to the opposite. I'm like, no, you should hold out hope for someone who is the right kind of person, who loves God, right, who has virtue, who will be a good wife and mother, or a husband and father. We should have that kind of hope and those kind of high standards. And that's in many ways what our gospel is about today. It's about hope. And hope is so, so important. So there's that great line. I don't know if you've ever read The Ballad of the White Horse, uh, but there's this wonderful line. It says, uh, it's talking about King Alfred. And it says, darkness was on the emperor and night upon the pope. And Alfred, hiding in tall grass, hardened his heart with hope. Darkness was on the emperor, night was on the pope, and Alfred, hiding in tall grass, hardened his heart with hope. Wow. Today, what I want to encourage you to is to harden your heart with hope. That you and I have a real hope, and when we, when we have that hope in our hearts, brothers and sisters, it strengthens us against the darkness of despair, and it helps us not to settle for smaller hopes. It's so tempting. It's so easy for us to forget our, our great hope that God has given us and instead to kind of settle for lesser things. So, we, so what's our hope? Our hope is heaven. It's redemption. And think about that. We do not think about this enough. Brothers and sisters, what is heaven? What does it mean to have the hope of heaven in our hearts? It means that we know that we were made for something greater. 
Have you ever wondered if you're going to get bored in heaven, if you make it? Anybody? Last Mass I asked, and it was like me and two seminarians. And I was like, you don't ever think about heaven. You're sinners, right? But I used to think that. I was like, you know, what's going to happen in heaven? Isn't it? I mean, I know it'll be amazing, but if the food's amazing and, you know, there's a lot of cool people, won't it get boring, though, after a while? It's like, all right, I've learned every song there is to learn on the harp and, you know, <laughs> is there anything else, God? Like, we've got eternity. What's next? Pope Benedict wrote an encyclical about that. And you should read it. It's a wonderful encyclical. It's called Space Salvi, which means saving hope. In Latin, it's taken from a line in Romans 8. Uh, but he answers that question so well. And what he says is he says eternal life does not primarily mean, when Jesus talks about eternal life, it doesn't mean an endless succession of days. does not mean an endless succession of days. Eternal life, rather, even though, of course, it lasts forever, eternal life, think of the best moment you've ever had in your life. The best moment, right? Maybe it was your wedding day. Maybe it was the day a child was born. Maybe it was a day you were with your family, you know, in the mountains. Whatever it was, some of my best days of my life, very honestly, are at this Mass just incensing the altar. And there's this joy in your heart. And imagine if you could take that moment and if you could just be lost in that moment forever. The kingdom of God, heaven itself, is that multiplied infinitely. What an amazing hope. And if that's real, brothers and sisters, if heaven is real, if the hope that our God gives us is real, isn't that worth anything to get there? Heaven is perfect union with God. That's what it means. It means in heaven, you know, it's about love. It's a perfect, loving union with God, right? The best moments of our lives are moments where love just radiates through us. It's like light coming through one of these stained glass windows when love just shines through you. That will never get old. That's heaven. And brothers and sisters, if we have that hope, if we have that hope in our hearts, it gets us through all of our difficulties. So today's gospel Jesus tells a parable about a wedding feast that a king throws for his son. And the broad outline of that is pretty easy to see what that's referring to. The king is God, Jesus is his son, and he throws a wedding feast for his son. And he invites all these people. And the first point today is that the first set of guests who are invited to the wedding feast have better things to do. Now, isn't this true in our own lives? How many people aren't here today, or how many of us who are here today, there's, there's other things that become more important. And it's tragic when this happens. People sometimes have lesser hopes. They say, okay, God, I know, I know that you gave your son and that at Mass, which is the beginning of the wedding feast, brothers and sisters, 
It's the foretaste of heaven where Christ in the Eucharist gives himself in perfect love to us. And the church, of course, is his bride. The mass is a wedding feast. The groom lays his life down for us and he gives himself to his bride, the church. But so many of us say, yes, God, I know you want me to have infinite happiness and you want that to start now, the foretaste right now. But the Broncos are playing today. Or I've got better things to do. My favorite TV show, you know, the new uh, season of Stranger Things is coming up. I'm like, yes. Those are good things. Those are all good things. But brothers and sisters, those are lesser hopes. If your heart's not set on heaven, if you don't remember that hope to which you are called, eternal life, you will settle for a lesser And you'll fill your life with things that are smaller, and you were made for something greater. If you have that hope of heaven, the wedding feast of the Lamb, brothers and sisters, you can endure anything. Which brings us to our second reading today in Philippians chapter 4. Now, when we hear St. Paul sometimes, we don't know the context, and, and Paul, we can kind of just zone out a little bit. Paul today, here's what we heard, he said... I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. Now, if you're really listening, I think a temptation would be to say, sure you have, Paul. Easy for you to say, you know, you saw Jesus in a vision. You know, you don't know my life. I know how to be abased, right? I know how to go into very humble circumstances. I know how to abound. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. Right? Paul's saying, I can be happy anywhere. Anywhere I go, Paul says, I can find joy and happiness. And it seems like that can just be a fairy tale. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Here's the one thing I want you to know about what happened in this reading. St. Paul wrote this from a prison. Philippians is written when Paul is in chains and he's on his way to be executed in Rome. See, he's not just saying that. Brothers and sisters, he had that hope. He had this hope of union with God of eternal life, of happiness, and he knew it wasn't a fairy tale. He knew that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. Because that was in his heart, he could get through anything. Prisonment, physical abuse, destitution, hunger. If you you want a book to read about Paul's hardships, Read 2 Corinthians. Paul suffered tremendously, but he was joyful because of that hope. He hardened his heart with hope. So that's the first thing. If I can encourage you to one thing, first point today, brothers and sisters, don't settle for lesser hopes. Don't do it. You were made for something that is beyond your wildest imaginations. You were made for a heaven where your heart is so full where you can't even describe the joy.
You were made for that. And don't settle for anything less. Here's the second point. In our reading today, everybody always wonders about this. And this is one of those readings when, before I was a priest, when priests would skip over hard passages, I, I was like, come on, like, what's going on there? If anybody's going to know in this church, it's got to be you, except here, we have some Augustine Institute professors, some seminary professors, and I'm like, they're going to find me after Mass and be like, that's actually not what it means, Father Brian. <laughs> but in our reading today, it's so interesting. The, the, you get to the wedding feast, and then there's this weird scene, Right? There's someone in the hall, and God, by, let's pause one second, God goes out, or the, in the parable, the king sends out his servants, and he says, go invite everybody. Go invite everybody. And you know that song, All Are Welcome, right? That's, that's the sentiment, all are welcome. Everyone is invited, and that's true. God invites everyone into his kingdom. All are welcome. You all know, you should know, I hate that song. It just drives me nuts. I've banished it from Our Lady of Lords. Um, but it's true. All are welcome. The reason I don't like it is because I think people hear all are, are welcome, and they think that means I can live however I want to live. Right? When I see, you ever see the signs on the churches that says all are welcome here, and it's like underlines all? As if like at Lords, like I'm like, you know, walking up at Mass, I'm like, you know, I just, that third pew, I don't think so. Get out of here, right? No, everyone is welcome here. Absolutely everyone. Whatever your past, whatever your future, whatever has happened in your life, everyone's welcome here. Jesus finishes his story today, and the last line he says is he says, many are called, and the word many can also mean all. It's polus in Greek, but that's another story. It can mean all or many. It's the same word when Jesus offers the chalice at the Last Supper, when he says, this is the cup of the covenant poured out for you and for many, but it can equally mean all. So everyone's invited, but few are chosen. So the point is, everyone's welcome to be a Christian. Everyone's welcome to the wedding feast, but not on their own terms. If you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to come to the wedding feast of the Son of God, brothers and sisters, God invites everyone to his kingdom. No matter what's happened in your past, no matter what wounds you have, no matter what sins you have, you are welcome in God's kingdom. But part of being in God's kingdom means that he is king and you're not. He invites all of us, but Jesus, I can't say, Lord, I know that, that you're the, the son of God, you're the savior. You know, I just think you're wrong about five things. And I wish you would come around to seeing things my way. Right? That, that doesn't work. Okay, so back to this person who's cast out. It seems like an overreaction, doesn't it? The king comes into the hall, and there's a guy who doesn't, he's not dressed properly. And so they, here's what it says. It says, the king came in to look at the guests. He saw a man there who had no wedding garment. He said, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The king said to the attendants, you know, in the natural response, well, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. <laughs> Did you do that at your wedding? Like, you're at your wedding, you're like, Uncle Bob wore jeans and a t-shirt. <laughs> All right, let's bind him, cast him out. <laughs> you read the scriptures, you're like, God is so weird. <laughs> 
So what does this mean? Why, does it, why is this person cast out? And brothers and sisters, this is so powerful. The story of the Bible is a wedding story, all from beginning to end. Genesis chapter 1 culminates in the marriage of Adam and Eve. The end of the Bible in the book of Revelation culminates with the wedding feast of the Lamb. And all through the Bible, it's a story of a wedding. In the Old Testament, God's bride is Israel. The entire book of Hosea is about that. And there's a story of a covenant, which is a marriage. And then we have the new covenant, where the Son of God has a new bride who is the church. The Bible is a wedding story. It's a story of marriage and union and love and romance. That's what the Bible is. In Revelation 19, here's what St. John the Apostle says. He says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. And I have that underlined in my Bible because that gives me hope. Aren't you so glad St. John doesn't say, then I heard the sound of eight people in heaven. Right? So glad it doesn't say that. Like a great multitude. There's a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of of mighty thunder peals crying out. Hallelujah, for the Lord, our, the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. And real, real quick, back to hope. Don't you want to be a part of that crowd? A great multitude in heaven, and when they cry out to God in joy, it sounds like thunder. What a beautiful hope. They cry out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Sound familiar? Our parable in Matthew 22 is about the wedding feast of the Son and in Revelation 19, we're talking about the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's the same reality, brothers and sisters. The bride has made herself ready, which is us. We are the bride of Christ. The church is the, the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5. The bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. So in Revelation 19, the bride is clothed properly. We should set up our ears about our gospel today. So what is this clothing? What is this bright and pure linen? The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The man is cast out from the wedding feast, brothers and sisters. All are welcome. God calls you to his kingdom. There is nothing greater. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, God loves you, and you are invited to his kingdom. And then you have to clothe yourself with righteous deeds. That's our garment. That's our wedding garment. It's not, just, it's not that you dress nice for Mass. I think it's good if you do. It's that you love the poor. 
It's that you forgive your enemies. It's that you live a life of truth and mercy, of courage, of faith, hope, and love. If you do that, brothers and sisters, you will be clothed in righteousness. And this is not just, by the way, revelation. This is all over both Old and New Testaments. In in the Bible, an analogy for clothing, clothing is an analogy, I should say, for living a righteous life. If you don't believe me, go home today and read Colossians 2 and 3. That's our destiny. So let me leave you with a couple practicals. Number one, Sunday Mass and your faith in general should be such a priority. Harden your heart with hope. The world promises us, we all want things. I can't wait to watch the new Stranger Things season. I'm like so excited. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But is your heart on fire for your homeland? This morning, just praying with this, I was like, that multitude in Revelation 19 who cries out like thunder. Think about that. Don't you want to be there? Mary will be there, the mother of God. St. Joseph, Peter and Paul and the apostles. St. Augustine and St. Monica. I want to be with them. I want to be one of that number who cries out with St. Bernard and St. Clair and St. Francis, with Mother Teresa and John Paul II and my grandparents and all the multitude of Catholics and Christians and all the people out there who have lived good lives and have eternal joy. Harden your heart with hope, brothers and sisters. Your faith needs to be a priority, not something that is convenient. I'll get there if it's convenient. It needs to be number one. Put God first. Secondly, the second thing today that I want you to think about is just Sunday Mass. Sunday Mass, we should be here every Sunday as much as we, it should just be first, we should be here every Sunday. If you're traveling, find a church on Sunday and then live that righteous life. When God's love, when you know the goodness of our King, of the groom, of the the lamb. Brothers and sisters, when you know that goodness, what's naturally going to happen, and that really lives inside of you, is righteousness will shine through you. You'll live a righteous life. So Jesus, today, Lord, fill us with hope. Make our hope bigger, bigger than the world can give us, Jesus, help us to long for our homeland, that we could cry out with all the saints in joy, that we would be filled with eternal love and righteousness. Jesus, bless your bride, the church. Clothe her with righteousness. Jesus, help us today, help us all the days as we move forward to harden our hearts with hope.